It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Charles Payne. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Greg Jarrett. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, March 18th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Supply chain problems and demand fluctuations were already contributing to record inflation. And now Russia's war in Ukraine adds additional uncertainty. Some state lawmakers and governors say they can at least give consumers some relief at the gas pump. I don't agree that providing tax breaks and giving money back to people that's actually theirs to begin with is anything other than good. I'm Chris Foster. COVID-19, inflation, maybe World War III starting in Ukraine. There's a lot going on. A lot of Americans say they're getting buried by stress. Certain stressors are always present. Things like money, um, work, those sorts of things are are more evergreen. But absolutely, this is clearly a reflection of what's happening in our world right now. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. After announcing an interest rate hike, the first one in about 40 years, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said this week that inflation remains elevated, reflecting supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic, higher energy prices, and broader price pressures. Although the invasion of Ukraine and related events represent a downside risk to the outlook for economic activity, FOMC participants continue to foresee solid growth. But he said the probability of a recession is not particularly elevated. However, he still acknowledged the inflationary pressures are hurting the poorest the most. We understand that high inflation imposes significant hardship, especially on those least able to meet the higher costs of essentials like food, housing and transportation. Now, some state leaders are talking about gas tax holidays or deferrals to help alleviate some of the financial pressures. We're going to have a gas tax holiday regarding the 25 cent um, motor vehicle tax. We want to make that available all the way through June 30. Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont also wants a week-long sales tax holiday on clothing. Lawmakers in about 20 states are talking about gas tax holidays in some form to deal with soaring prices. Not everyone thinks it's a good idea, though. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer said she's focused on prescription drug relief, repealing a retirement tax, and increasing the earned income tax credit. When asked if she would sign a gas tax holiday bill, she said... Well, it won't have lived up to any of those things that I just said, so you can draw your own conclusion. Whitmer has instead called for federal lawmakers to suspend the gas tax, and there is a congressional proposal. Virginia's also working on a proposal as well, though some Democrats have said that will take money away from their state transportation fund to fix roads and highways. Well, Virginians, like Americans, have seen runaway inflation on just about everything. Glenn Youngkin is Virginia's Republican governor. And we're seeing it at the gas pump uh, almost the worse. And so... I feel like this is a moment where we can provide real a real benefit to Virginians by suspending the entire gas tax, which is 26 cents a gallon for three months. Right at the beginning of the summer when we're coming out of COVID, it's time to get Virginians back on the road. And gas prices are just way too high. Listen, the gas prices in Virginia ran up a full dollar prior to Russia invading Ukraine from when Joe Biden came in to just before Russia invaded Ukraine. has gone up another 80 cents since then. This is absolutely stealing money from Virginians, hard-earned paychecks. And so we've got plenty of money in our system in Virginia. We can fund everything we need to fund. We're actually running surpluses 
And it's time for us to give Virginians a break. And we're going to work hard to suspend the gas tax. I've got to send a bill down to our legislature, which I'll call back into special session. And uh, we're going to get them working on this. There's a Forbes article out that criticizes governor's efforts on this gas tax front, the holidays and deferrals. They say putting more money in people's pockets will increase demand for goods at a time of supply shortages. That will drive up prices and worsen the inflation the governors claim to be so worried about. And it will increase pressure on the Fed to raise interest rates even more than it planned. What do you say to that kind of criticism? Well, I don't agree. When you think about what inflation is doing to folks on grocery prices, on utility bills, on prices at the pump. These aren't elective items. These are things people have to buy. I just saw a study recently that suggested that for the average American family, inflation was going to cost them $2,000 this year. And we put forth a tax package for our General Assembly, which they're working through now, which I am doing everything I can to get passed, that would eliminate our grocery tax and materially increase our standard deductions. And yes, defer this gas tax and provide veterans a tax break and declare a large tax rebate. And it'd be worth $1,500 for the typical family in year one. Virginians need this. And I don't agree that providing tax breaks and giving money back to people that's actually theirs to begin with is anything other than good. Yeah, I understand you are trying to fulfill a campaign promise. I mean, you had talked about Virginians being overtaxed and all those things you just mentioned, eliminating the grocery tax, doubling the standard deduction, the tax rebate. I wonder, though, how much will people see of that? Like, if I'm saving 26 cents a gallon, it's still relatively high. And if I'm saving a few bucks at the grocery store, my prices are still relatively high. Is this really going to spur anything? Is this going to spur more spending? Is this going to really increase consumer confidence? Is it that big of a give back? Well, first, I start with just basic common sense. We're overtaxing people in Virginia. We're running huge surpluses. In fact, $2.6 billion surplus last year and is projected to be over last year plus the future two to three years. It's expected to be $14 billion. This is Virginians money. And I just think, you know, typical government and particularly our progressive Democrats just want to keep all that money because they think it's theirs. We nickel and dime people in Virginia on everything and it stacks up. And as I said, you know, in year one, these tax cuts would amount to $1,500 for a typical Virginia family at a time when they're seeing prices run away from them. 20% increases in a lot of items on the grocery store shelves. It's just really gotten crazy. Now, the reality, of course, is that this is all driven by bad policy coming out of Washington, in my view. I mean, we watched our energy industry get decimated. I mean, we were producing 13 million barrels a day, and now we're down to 11 and a half. We had a self-sufficient energy industry. We've watched supply demand interruptions that have absolutely driven inflation. And when you flood the world and you know, the United States with free money, by definition, you get inflation. And so this is a chance for us to give Virginians back the money that they work hard to earn, because I know it's their money, not government's. Tell me, though, about the timing of this. I know you were in the financial sector that the Carlisle Group before you were governor. Can you sort of shed some light on, on the timing of this? Because I'm, we're hearing the, the R word being lightly thrown around right now. I know the Fed's trying to tamp down talk of recession. If, if there is a recession, states have a history of seeing revenues drop and they end up facing shortfalls. Can you talk about the timing of these tax cuts, given the uncertainty we're sort of facing in the economy? Well, I believe the uncertainty that we're facing in the economy is driven by this runaway inflation. You know, what we've seen over, you know, basically 100 years of cycles, which is when we have runaway inflation, 
The Fed routinely tightens, and we do see a slight economic, if not sometimes a material economic slowdown. We have a slightly different moment here. And as we're coming out of COVID, and we are seeing a path back to normalcy, what we're also seeing is a recovery of activity. And I do believe that we can, in fact, chart a path in Virginia where we bring down the cost of living. We make it a much more business-friendly state. We actually get Virginians moving again, job creation, job growth. We get our labor participation up from the dismal 63% that we're seeing right now, which is near the lowest we've seen in the history of the number. And we will, in fact, see economic growth as a result. Listen, the headwinds are coming out of Washington. We've had no leadership from the White House, none. So I'm hoping for leadership out of Washington where we can use this path back to normalcy to get back to some common sense leadership that will get the economy moving as well. Governor, I want to talk about your campaign and midterms. You caught a lot of people's attention uh, when you ran. Uh, have Republican candidates reached out to you about your playbook, for lack of a better term? It sure seems like you, you keyed in on something that a lot of people are keying in on or maybe even copying parents, parental rights, COVID, masks in schools. It was even, I guess, parental rights was even a big theme in the State of the Union rebuttal this year. Um, Have you heard from other Republicans who want to imitate you? Well, the short answer is yes. The long (laughs) answer is that, you know, last year as an outsider, I just came to the campaign with a kind of a fresh perspective on what it meant to go work for your customers. Customers are 8.6 million Virginians. And oh, by the way, if you go around and listen to them, what we heard over and over again is cost of living is too high. Can you please bring taxes down? We're not confident in our schools and, and no one's listening to us as parents. And oh, by the way, our communities aren't safe like they used to be. And regulation is squeezing small business out of the marketplace. And oh, by the way, government tells us what to do all the time and is no longer working for us. And you know, the reality is that this is common sense stuff. Listen to your customers. And oh, by the way, low taxes, small government, listening to parents, investing in law enforcement, promoting business as opposed to obstructing it. I mean, this is not some brain surgery that one has to come up with. This is, in fact, common sense leadership by government that works for our voters. I mean, I think this is the formula for this fall for all Republican candidates is listen to the voters, stick with common sense kitchen table issues, and just let's just outwork and outcommunicate Uh, the other side. At the end of the day, you can't argue against this stuff. And I think this is reason why we've seen uh, real bipartisan wins in our legislature, like around masks and and Mm. empowering parents. It's because at the end of the day, I think common sense wins. And uh, I am excited to see what happens this fall. And you're going to continue to see out of Virginia, a a government that's working for our voters. This fall, um, some candidates are already campaigning. It's primary season right now. Some incumbents, some fresh new faces, they may want President Trump more involved than others in their GOP campaigns. You welcomed his endorsement, but you didn't campaign with him. That was noted by a lot of political analysts and others. What is your advice or even warning to Republicans as they may try to imitate your campaign? Well, the good thing is I'm not a campaign consultant uh, <laughs> and, and I'm just I'm just a guy that, that uh, stepped out of a business career to go work for 8.6 million Virginians. What, what, I, what I learned along the way is that, you know, I, I'm running for Virginia and I'm running on a platform that um, is going to work for all voters. And I have to represent what I think is right. 
And, and so we gave everybody a big bear hug and we needed all voters. And we worked hard with, with uh, the forever Trumpers and we worked hard with the never Trumpers. And we worked hard with the independents and the Democrats. And we, we built coalitions into the minority communities that had never been built before. And, and we, you know, we had record uh, outcomes in the, in the Latino community and the Asian community and did better with the black vote than we've done in Virginia and in, in memory for a Republican. And, and I think what we found, of course, is going back to what I said just a minute ago, is it's, it's not about aligning with a particular person. It's, in fact, listening to all voters. And again, the, the basic building blocks of a platform that represents Republican values, small government, low taxes, business friendly. Oh, by the way, strong education, recognizing that parents matter. This is not a moment where we as Republicans should run away from these most important topics. We can win on education. We should win on law enforcement. We should win on taxes. We should win on downsizing government because, by the way, that's what all Virginians want. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you so much for letting me join you, Jessica, and I just wish you a blessed day. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. Every year, the American Psychological Association does a survey called Stress in America. This year, two years into the COVID-19 pandemic, COVID's still a source of stress for a lot of people, with money troubles from inflation and higher gas prices, and now war in Ukraine and worries about what Russia might do piling on. In fact, inflation in Ukraine are cited as sources of stress more than any other issues in the 15-year history of the survey. You know, although concerns about the pandemic have decreased, over 80% of Americans said inflation and issues related to the invasion of Ukraine are significant sources of stress. Vale writes a clinical psychologist, a researcher, and spokeswoman for the American Psychological Association. And, you know, those were the highest percentages reported about any source of stress we've asked about in the 15-year history of stress in America. Yeah, and more than 80% each, which is kind of surprising to me. Now, look, the Ukraine thing is obviously a function of when you do the survey, uh, which you did in mid mid-February. If this was a month ago, Ukraine's not on anybody's radar, right? So in a, in a sense, these annual surveys are can be a little bit of a snapshot of where the world is at that time. Yes, absolutely. They, they are very directly related to, you know, what is significant in people's lives in the moment. Now, of course, certain stressors are always present. Things like money, um, work, those co- sorts of things are, are more evergreen. But absolutely, this is c- clearly a reflection of what's happening in our world right now. But even though even though money is always a stressor for most people, for many people um, right now, it's the highest ever recorded uh, since you guys started doing this in 2015. Why specifically what's going on? Is it it just inflation? Is it uh, or is it a piling on of things? It's likely a combination of things. It's clearly inflation. 87% of adults said inflation was a source of stress. So that's pretty universal. It's also the economy. It's concerns about what's happening globally. It's concerns about the supply chain. It's a combination of factors um, about what is, you know, just happening in the moment. Like a lot of things, is COVID sort of still at the root of a lot of this? I mean, there are major life changes 
routine changes at, at, at least for everybody over the last two years, maybe less so now. But is that just sitting there as a base with the other stuff piled up on top? Is there a compounding effect where maybe we wouldn't be quite as stressed about the other stuff if we weren't already in this fight or flight mode over COVID? Absolutely. I, you know, living with the pandemic for the last two years, the level of chronic stress that we've all been under is just not sustainable for most people. So I think, you know, adding on inflation, the invasion it feels just like one more thing to compounding what we've already been experiencing. And when we asked adults, 63% say their life has been forever changed by the COVID-19 pandemic. So even as we start to open up again, as cases continue to reduce, life is going to look different and people are recognizing that. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of people, think back two years ago, all right, normal's gonna be a couple weeks away and then normal's gonna be six months away and then normal's gonna be a year away and now it's two years. And I suppose, at least speaking for me personally, and I probably speak for a lot of people, vaccinations, boosts, just mentally, I'm done. Um, you know, condolences to the families of the people that are still dying today and still getting sick today and people with little kids who can't get them vaccinated. I feel for all of them, but I, I have to be speaking for a lot of people who say I've, it's just enough. We, we've done what we can do. I think that there is that sense among a lot of people of just total fatigue, exhaustion, and just kind of being over it. Um, and you can recognize that, yes, people have really suffered, that there's a lot of grief and loss, and you can still feel like you just don't want to deal with it anymore. That's a really human response um, and, you know, not something to judge yourself over. But again, just trying to hold both those things at the same time as you continue to hopefully create a life that's worth living as we live in this new normal. Yeah. Getting back to Ukraine for a minute, just as an example, that's what we're talking about right now. Does that speak a little bit to people who are more plugged in, news consumers, say, getting stressed out by it? I mean, unless you have friends or family in Ukraine or Russia, right now the war is probably not affecting you personally. If you didn't know about it, that is. I mean, since you do know about it, you are going to be you might be worried about Russian retaliation and you might feel terrible empathy or sympathy for the people of Ukraine, but is this a, a thing where people who are more unplugged have less stress? Um, possibly, but I think what is different about this is, is compared to maybe other invasions like Syria or other examples, is it is having some impact on most Americans right now, at the very least at the gas pump, right? So I think we are seeing that things that happen globally are impacting us at home. And I think you can draw similar parallels to the pandemic and the impact that's had on global supply chain, probably something none of us really ever thought about before we just took for granted. But now we're recognizing that international events do impact us here at home. Yeah. Uh, before you went to the store and the thing you wanted was pretty much going to be there. Now you're like, oh, OK, well, I guess I'll get something else because something's happening a world away and a, and a widget that goes in this other thing. We can't get it right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even when you think about um, just cars, right, automobiles and the ability to even be able to buy a car. I think that's the first time in my lifetime that I have felt like, oh, I can't just go down the street and, and purchase something because the chips that go in it haven't come from China. Um, so I, I just think the last two years has had to have an impact on the way that we view our community and the way that that interacts with the rest of the world. Besides the, I don't know, discomfort, besides what's happening in our head, how does stress manifest itself and other health problems. People are people are drinking more, people are eating more or eating maybe not as well uh, because of it, right? So stress can lead to other problems. Yeah, we've seen um, consistently over the past year, people reporting unhealthy coping behaviors like drinking more, eating when they don't want to, related to stress. And we know that if these 
uh, chronic stressors continue, if these negative behaviors continue, that that does have um, a pretty significant physical and emotional impact. So it can lead to things like cardiovascular disease, obesity, uh, hypertension, as well as depression, anxiety, substance use issues. So what do you do? What's the advice? Um, well, first, at what point do you tell people, look, this is beyond what you might want to handle on your own, um, where you should be talking to someone professional about getting your stress levels down? Uh, well, let's start there. Where, 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 where's the tipping point where you tell people, look, you, you can't handle this on your own? Historically, the advice has been when your stress begins to interfere with your functioning in some significant way. So you're finding that you're not able to work like you used to. You're not taking care of yourself physically. You're not being able to take care of your family. That's when it's absolutely time to go see somebody. But I'm changing the narrative. I think it's always time to seek out some professional help. They're trained to do that. There's no reason why we need to wait until we're in crisis in order to address our mental health needs besides uh, professional help or on top of uh, professional help, what do you tell uh, clients or patients? I'm not sure how do you refer to them them, um, to do otherwise? Uh, Is it, you know, get it out on a journal? Is it do yoga? Is it just more sleep, better diet? It's all those things. I think the foundation, you have to make sure that you are getting enough sleep, you're eating healthy, you're staying active, you're being socially connected. Then on top of that, the activities that really kind of fill you back up are going to be individualized. So it might be yoga for somebody, it might be baking bread for somebody else. I think people need to really be mindful of how we're taking in information right now. We need to stay informed. It's critically important that we do, but that doesn't mean we have to be constantly connected to our devices. We know that increases our stress too. So, you know, identify ways that you can uh, keep abreast with the news without having to continually expose yourself to these negative images over and over and over again. Uh, Flipping through this study, uh, it's uh, not that being a parent isn't, hasn't always been fairly stressful, but it's, it's it's been an especially hard time to be a parent, right? Yeah, absolutely. What we're seeing from parents um, is they're, they have been one of the most stressed groups since the start of the pandemic, particularly at the beginning when there was that hard pivot to having to do schooling at home. Um, but now two years in, what we're seeing from parents is a lot of concern about developmental issues. How are they being impacted academically, socially, emotionally from this prolonged uh, period of the pandemic? I know you're probably not talking to little kids in this survey, but how is that shaking out psychologically with kids? Are they more resilient than we thought or or than we think? Or are there going to be short or longer term psychological effects from all this in kids? Honestly, I think it's both. I think certainly children can be resilient um, and not everybody's experience is going to be the same. But we also know from other research about adverse childhood childhood events that it does have a long-term impact on their emotional and mental well-being so these are the kinds of conversations that we need to be talking about now we can't just expect kids to come out of this resilient we need to think about what are the systems that are in place and how can we change them to better support the emotional and mental well-being of our children you keep track here of uh, demographic stuff age uh, race gender who tends to be more or less stressed for example generationally 
generationally, um, year after year, we see that younger adults are those that are more stressed. And it's probably a combination of reasons. One is um, younger adults don't maybe have the same coping resources that older adults do just because they haven't had to overcome as many adverse experiences typically. Um, it's also likely that younger um, adults are experiencing different types of stressors than um, older adults have, including entering into economy that is less supportive of um, people entering the workforce than ever before, um, different types of, again, social media impacts, as well as uh, the violence that we're seeing in communities that most of us didn't have to grow up with. So it's it's likely a, a variety of factors. Looking back finally over the last uh, few years of you, you guys doing this study, are there any trends to pull from it or is it really, like I said, sort of a snapshot and what do you take from this year's compared to last uh, last year's and the years before? Um, I, I think it is a snapshot, but I think it also reflects data that we're seeing from other sources over the past two years. So when you look at data from the CDC or Johns Hopkins, what you're seeing are increased levels of stress that are having an, a negative impact on individuals' mental health, including increased rates of anxiety, depression, substance use, and suicidality. So while it is a point in time when we think about what are the specific stressors right now, what it does tell us is that levels of chronic stress that don't go away, have negative impacts on people, but that we can do something about it. And so our message is always to individuals to think about how can you better manage your stress because you can do it and it's important that you do. Bill Wright, Senior Director of Healthcare Innovation at, in the Practice Directorate at the American Psychological Association. Uh, you can go look up that study online. Bill uh, Wright, thanks for talking to us. Thanks for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. A Tuskegee Airman has finally been honored for a win, decades after it was ignored during his service. 98-year-old Lieutenant Colonel James H. Harvey III has been given the recognition he and his teammates deserve for their history-making Air Force Top Gun win from 1949. Harvey told Fox News about it, saying it all started in 1949 when the newly formed United States Air Force held weapons competitions. Squadrons and fighter groups were to pick their three high scorers to represent air fighters at the first ever Top Gun weapons meet in June of that year. Harvey represented the 99th Fighter Squadron within the Air Force's 332nd Fighter Group, a segregated unit where the nation's first black pilots gained their combat flight wings. During World War II, air fighters in the 332nd were known as the Tuskegee Airmen. Lieutenant Colonel Harvey, Captain Alva Temple, First Lieutenant Harry Stewart Jr., and alternate member First Lieutenant Halbert Alexander won the Top Gun competition, but the trophy mysteriously disappeared after their win was announced. The Air Force Almanac listed the 1949 Top Gun winners as unknown. The record was corrected in 1993 when documentation was presented that proved their win. And in 2004, the trophy was found in a storage location at the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force in Ohio. While Harvey was grateful for the recovery, he wished the display had a recognition plaque for the 332nd Fighter Group's contribution, which is what he asked for when he was contacted last spring by the AARP's Wish of a Lifetime folks. 
He says he's grateful to finally have the recognition, and when asked for his advice on dealing with an overlooked achievement, he said, quote, don't give up, continue to pursue it, do what you have to do to get the recognition you deserve. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. It's time for your Fox News commentary. What's on your mind? If you've been paying attention lately, you know that our country, as well as much of the world, is in a time of crisis with dumpster fire after dumpster fire exploding in front of our eyes. And unless you're living under a well-placed rock, you know that the situation in Ukraine appears to worsen by the day with the Russian insurgency strengthening, civilian casualties growing, and tensions escalating. It's a tragedy, a threat, and a newsworthy concern, but I firmly believe our biggest national security threat isn't Russia, isn't China, isn't Iran certainly isn't pronoun usage or climate change, but rather what happens when our leaders put America and Americans last. Inflation sits at the highest rate in over 40 years, sitting at nearly 8%. Gas prices are through the roof as the national averages broke records this week with regular at over $4.30 a gallon and diesel over $5. Heck, in California, average prices are even higher, sitting at nearly six bucks a gallon. Who can afford that? Who can afford anything in Biden's America? And it's getting worse. And no, despite the Democrats' best smoke and mirrors production, the buck for this cannot be passed off on Putin and Russia. Yet, instead of recognizing the need for a viable solution, that's all Biden and the Democrats know how to do. Pass the blame to everyone, our former president included, and everything but themselves. This Russian invasion should have been a huge wake-up call to the party in charge, right along with the climate change warriors who've been trampling on our domestic energy production and independence at every turn. And all for little more than social media points. Take the Keystone XL pipeline, for example. Biden terminated it and the workers who depended on it just hours into his first day in office and with no legitimate reasoning or explanation. The company behind it, TransCanada, also vowed to offset any emissions created with new strategies and a goal of making it net zero emissions by 2050. But that wasn't good enough for the green people. That stupid move to cancel Keystone not only took a big swing at our energy independence, but placed at least 11,000 Americans in the unemployment line. You know, those union workers Joe campaigned on fighting for, those folks in my home state of South Dakota who are still awaiting the green new jobs Joe promised. Biden also ordered a halt to new oil and gas leases on public land and vowed to review existing permits for fossil fuel development to see if he can nix those too. Why be energy independent and energy profitable when we can be instead beholden to hostile nations, right? Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela are loving this president, and I don't blame them. We were, if not they're on our way to being energy independent under Trump. And if Biden was serious about easing fuel prices, he would be restarting every canceled pipeline, opening up all oil drilling and exploration on federal lands, and now... But no, this administration's solution is to simply tell us little people to stop being broke and shell out over 50K for an electric vehicle when a good portion of the population is already struggling to afford basic household necessities. What a joke. This is what happens when leadership takes a four-year vacation right along with the media members that are supposed to hold that leadership accountable. 
This is also what happens when you get your president vote by mail style. Eye your pocketbook before you vote in November and don't make the same mistake twice, America. I'm Tommy Laren, and that's the Fox News Rundown from Nashville. God bless and take care. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.